It's Keep. Today I'm podcasting on the topic of disappointment. Um, I'm going to tell you a little story to start with as an example. And I've wondered, you know, I just it just occurred to me to record this about 10 minutes ago because I had thoughts that felt uh, pregnant enough to birth, I suppose. And they came about uh, with this inciting incident that involves a friend of mine. And I was deliberating in the last 10 minutes whether or not I should just name him or keep it anonymous. And in general, like on this podcast, like how personal to be and how considerate, I suppose, to be. That is definitely the side, the other side of it in my mind, you know, to consider the feelings and uh, privacy of others. They're in anonymous, anonymity, no. Anyways, I'm struggling with that word. <laughs> so his name is Wes. I'm going to say it because this is a very um, robust dialogue that I have with him directly. And I would love it if he was offended by this podcast because it would mean that he listens to it. Um, but for those of you that do listen, I suppose you might know him, uh, those of you that know me. Um, but anyways, I'm just going to call him Wes for the sake of it. And he's been staying with me in Berlin for the last uh, week-ish, give or take. And I'm happy to put up a friend, you know, like it's a hardship for sure to host to some degree. Some people have an easier time with it. I have a studio apartment, so if I'm not sharing it with a lover, it's kind of like a very special class of people that are comfortable enough on my couch, you know, just a few meters from my bed. And uh, Wes does fall into this category. He's a lifelong friend of mine that I went to university with, and I do love him like a brother through thick and thin. And I've probably had more falling outs with Wes than with anyone else. We have a lot of disagreements and strife. So this is just but one extra, another example of that. Basically, I'm going to fly in a couple days to California to fully recover my foot that I broke here in Berlin. And I really have to get everything sorted out, which I described in my last podcast about feeling disorganized. I'm working on that. I'm feeling more put together. I've made some notes about my packing and all the things I have to do before I leave. Some of those things I actually need help with from Wes, possibly. But Wes is kind of not that helpful of a person. I don't know if he would object to that statement. Certainly, he considers himself willing to help me, like, grab a glass of water if I ask him to before he leaves my house. But he's not going to ask if I need that water before he leaves the house. He's not going to ask if I need anything else. He's not going to ask if there's anything else he can do. He will do it if I specifically ask, and he'll make a joke of it, which is funny, and we share humor in this way. But he's not like... Um, he, I wouldn't describe this as one of his main attributes, whereas with other people, nurturing people, I would say that, and I value that kind of thing, especially now when I'm injured and infirmed and in need of help. So anyways, it's a bit beyond, uh, beyond this point today. I'm going to have a few people, uh, I'm going to have dinner with a few people tonight. I had 
um, a little gathering on the weekend that was very nice with some very close friends of mine, um, but not everybody could make it. And you know, maybe it's a maybe it's a, um, a consequence of getting older, but it's hard to have one friend group. And I'm sure you can relate to your listener. Not all of your friends get along, so sometimes you have to like separate things and have one little gathering for this group and another for that group, and then maybe one-on-one with a couple other people. And that's just how life is, right? So tonight, um, I'll meet with a different set of people, let's say, trying to put together a right set. And I'm very, I don't think I'm very good at doing that. Um, Maybe I do have some innate skills at doing it. Maybe I don't try hard enough, but, you know, I just, I always feel pressured and anxious organizing a party. I always feel like no one will come, right? Um, I don't think I'm very popular, and it's hard for me to expect even close friends to be available when I ask them to be. And that's been a theme lately for sure. It was it was a theme throughout the summer in Berlin before I even broke my foot, and since then it's been a continued theme. And I suppose this is where we enter this feeling of disappointment, right? Um it's disappointing if you expect or want something and you don't get it. And in particular from somebody, you know, I think the most um, universal example that we can all use without being personal at all is like if you have a crush on somebody and you ask them out and they say no, or they just don't give you the attention that you expect back. Maybe you text them and they don't text back, right? You're disappointed because you're feeling, um, energy toward that person and you want to somehow cultivate it into a relationship and they're not reciprocating. They're not giving back that energy and you're not angry per se. Hopefully you're not. You're not sad. It doesn't depress you necessarily. Maybe it does, but you know, we use this word disappointed somehow in the middle, um, maybe slightly lower than these other, uh, typical, cartoonish emotions because you know are you allowed to be sad that somebody that you like for one day you know maybe that you just notice and say hi to and doesn't say hi back are you allowed to be sad about it maybe maybe it does register as sad just as a lower degree maybe we can speak in degrees so i would say maybe disappointment is a form of sadness um but i suppose it also has some judgment in it right so i'll just describe the task at hand here um so Wes and I go back a long time, and he shows up in my images on Instagram. People recognize him. He's a very unique, very uh, fascinating guy. Um, He's very cool. He's an individual who expresses himself through design and style and attitude. And um, I'm, I'm somewhat, I'd rather say actually I'm proud to consider him such a dear friend of mine because, uh, He's somebody that I relate to in a very particular way that I don't relate to with everybody, and I value that. And I'm proud to introduce him to people I know and for him to get to know people that are in my circle in Berlin. I don't know if it's mutual, (laughs) frankly. Um, It doesn't really feel mutual often. Uh, He doesn't really introduce or bring me around to things that he does. Granted, I don't really visit him in Helsinki as often. I have once. Um, but when I do introduce him to other people, he doesn't seem super stoked and excited to get into conversation, perhaps because he's shy. 
and a bit aloof. Perhaps he is modest and just waiting his turn to be asked a question and not trying to butt in. I was thinking about this the other night because I was out and another buddy walked by randomly on the street and I just engaged in conversation with my friend. And this is a friend that I think Wes can relate to very well as, as men uh, at the very least. But Wes kind of kept quiet and stayed on his phone and texted kind of throughout the interaction, maybe said a few words here and there, kind of like excuse himself, even though the other guy was leaving. He didn't really care about having a goodbye or a handshake or anything like that. He was kind of like, well, that's Keith's friend. I'll do my thing. And I felt some disappointment in that moment because it's like, Wes, this is somebody that I've even mentioned to you who is somebody that I like, you know, and you know, I don't know what I'm imagining. It's not like they're going to become close friends. They don't live in the same cities. They they don't share lives. But it's fun to introduce people that you think can get along or that you want to get along and to basically extend your own inner circle or even outer circle to encompass more overlap, right? So that when you, in, when you uh, plan things and create events and whatever, that you can throw more people into the mix, so to speak, and that people can get along without you and that you're not babysitting anybody and that they can engage each other on their own and foster that, you know. And, you know, this whole time Wes has been here, he's spent most of his time on the phone, engaged with his own melodramas back in in Finland. And it's a little uh, antisocial, I would say. I think he is antisocial, if I'm honest. And, you know, I guess that's fine. But, you know, I do judge it, I suppose, as it pertains to me. You know, if I'm going out to dinner with this guy that I don't see very often, you know, once a year or something, trying to do more often nowadays, um, and we're sitting down at dinner and he says one second as soon as the food comes and then goes and makes a phone call for 10 minutes, I mean, it's, it's annoying, especially when I know that when I call him, he doesn't do that, right? So it's like a priority thing. And then you kind of feel that disappointment that I was talking about when feelings aren't reciprocated. It's like, oh, you're not taking this sit-down dinner as seriously as I am. I'm sad about that, <laughs> right? So anyways, tonight, so for the last, so last night and tonight, Wes decided to get himself a little separate lodging somewhere here in the city, in Kreutzkelm. And um, he did that for a few reasons, I'm sure. Um, I don't think he wanted to because of the money at all, but, um, you know, my couch isn't the most comfortable we're living on top of each other. We don't have privacy. And he also has to work his job remotely, um, a sort of nine to five design job. And he thought, you know, instead of like hustling around the city, finding laptop friendly cafes and not being able to work, not wanting to crowd Keith by working at his house all day, maybe I'll just get a different place for a few nights and work in that hotel, which makes total sense to me. And I would do the same thing, um, especially if budget wasn't a major concern. So I encouraged, I didn't, I didn't actually encourage him to do it, but I signed off on it. I was like, yeah, do it if you want to do it. But I told him he didn't have to, right? Like he was welcome to stay on my couch. We did have a few fights where I wanted to kick him out and I told him so, but we work through those sort of things all the time. Um, so I do think he felt welcomed to stay if he could organize his days the way he wanted, but he ended up getting that, which is fine. And then I had a nice night on, on, my, on my own finally last night. And then tonight, he's still at the hotel, but I want to have this dinner thing. And I told him, like, okay, so Tuesday night I'll have dinner with, so you can meet some other friends of mine that you haven't met yet. And he said, okay. And then today, he sent me a slew of texts about our airport travels and work schedules and whatever. 
Um, and I just said, okay, to all that when I woke up, um, nothing, any, nothing of consequence really, but maybe things to think out in person talking about, I didn't want to text about it. And then he said, I think I should start reading this verbatim. He said, uh, Keith, I'm going to have to work late today. I won't be able to make the dinner. I can call you after and see what you're up to period. That was 1139 this morning. And I had just sent a group text to some people with him on it saying, guys, what do you think about dinner? Maybe seven, maybe something at my house, maybe just pick up a pizza or something cheap um, and getting him into that group, you know, and also just confirming with the other guys and what page we're all on. So his response was personal to me that he was bowing out. And then less than an hour later from 1139 to 1228, he sent me a question mark. <laughs> So then five minutes after that, I said, did you ask me a question? I don't know what you want me to say. It's too bad you won't meet Michael, but maybe he'll still be here if and when you can make it. So I thought that was a fine response of mine. But, you know, I was disappointed when Wes canceled this plan, you know. And I think when I tell that to his face... um. He would maybe object to the fact, was it a plan? Did I really agree to it? That sort of thing. But I'll just read you how this conversation actually goes. And I want to like pick apart, you know, this isn't meant to just have a go at Wes specifically. Um, but, you know, I am a media person. I'm in communications. It's what I've studied. It's what I do. Um, I am quite obsessed with rhetoric and... Uh, articulating ideas and uh, dialogue. All this stuff is what I care about. And photography is even an extension of that. How do you express ideas? How do you communicate feelings? This is what my life is about. And that's what this podcast is about. So I'm very, I'm hyper aware and uh, just cognizant of all the, the tricks that people pull, the psychological details of everything that goes into these kind of conversations. And I'm just going to use this very short conversation as an example of that. Okay, so that was my response. And his reply to me was, I see that you saw the message, but didn't reply. It gives the impression of anger. That's why I asked. I just have a lot to do for work, but I'll try to meet you guys after it if it doesn't get too late. Okay, those were three texts in a row. And let's just pause on those three messages he just sent. So it's fair enough that when I when you leave someone on red, it does give this impression of sour feelings of some sort, anger, sadness, disappointment, negative feelings, I think we can call them. Because, you know, lively, quick back and forth dialogue is the best. This is why texting is also fraught because it leaves room for this sort of ambiguity. Why didn't this person write back? What are they thinking? Did I say something wrong? Right? I mean, that's what I think normal people think. So that's why he asked. Yeah, obviously. So like, yeah, he sent a question mark because he like was baiting me to respond because I didn't respond. Because when he sent at 1139, when he sent... Keith, I'm going to have to work late today. I won't be able to make the dinner. I can call you after to see what you're up to. My heart sank a little bit. And I just thought, you know, 
this constellation of people isn't going to be quite the same without him. It's going to be a very small group anyways, and I kind of wanted him to be a part of that. Um, I want, you know, it would smooth out the other people that are meeting up if he's there as a go-between as my visitor that I grew up with. It's somebody that you can ask questions to as a new person, and it's like, you know what I mean? Like, the other people that are coming tonight um, know of each other uh, in in various degrees, and conversation, it's not that I'm worried about conversation, but I just wanted Wes there, the same way reason you would want a significant other there, or anything right but you know so so be it if he can't be there like what can i do about it it's not the biggest deal it's not the end of the world at all um it's not a party it's not a special event per se it's just a goodbye little dinner with a couple friends you know so what was there to say you know i was like in a different mood i was doing other things um i wasn't i didn't know what to tell him and so, you know, I told him what I told him less than an hour later, mind you. Meanwhile, you know, in that group chat, still not everyone has chimed into it. Right. And I've sent out another message directly to another person who has not responded either. So it's like, I, I understand this feeling of anxiety. Like this isn't planned out. I haven't gotten confirmation, you know, like, Ooh, is this person also going to cancel? Is that going to change our numbers? Then if so, what do we do about that? Maybe we can just walk here instead. We need to, you know, all this kind of anxiety is real. And I definitely relate to it. But I just think it's interesting how people play their anxieties out with each other, right? So basically Wes says, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pushing you because I feel anxious. That's what he's saying. I'm pushing you for an answer because I feel anxious. And then he adds an excuse. I just have a lot to do for work. An excuse, which could be valid, maybe not. I don't know. You know, I mean, I know a little bit about his work. I know he has meetings, so it could be a scheduled meeting later. But it could also just be that he feels like taking Thursday or Friday off, so he wants to do more today. You know, I mean, it could be a myriad of things. But the, the point comes down to the fact that the work is the priority and that me and my dinner are not the priority. End of story. I mean, that's obvious. And then he says this like glimmer of hope, but I'll try to meet you guys after if it doesn't go too late, which sounds very wishy-washy and doubtful, I would say. And like based on what you know about somebody when they say that, are they serious? Are they just saying it? You know what I mean? I mean, in this case, I can't even tell, but I don't try to rely very much on Wes, so I would say I don't take it seriously. So then I decided to like directly answer him. I said, yes, I'm disappointed. This is a theme that really gets to me. I think I've talked about it with you. And I'm not exactly surprised. But what can I do? You've told me already. I don't want to feel obligated to text back something that masks my feelings. And I also don't want to get in a fight about it. I texted that. And the subtext of that is like, yeah, I'm upset. You know that. It doesn't surprise me you, <laughs> you're flaking. But you're not making this a dialogue, right? You're not saying like, oh, Keith, you know, is it that big of a deal if I come tonight? Would it be okay if I miss it or if I come late? He's not saying that. Like, you told me already. So what can I do? And then I'm adding, like, I don't want to feel like it's my job to assuage him of his guilt. That it's like, okay, Wes, no worries, man. No big deal. Do what you got to do. We'll, we'll see you later. You definitely didn't need to meet these friends anyway. It's fine. 
Like if I said that, of course, that's what he wants. And he would feel okay. He would feel better about canceling on me if I said that. But I don't feel that way. I don't feel that way. So maybe that's on me. Dear listener, maybe you can be the judge. Um, and we're going to get into it here. And then I followed that up. I thought about just leaving it at that one little short paragraph. And then I just added, in general, if you disappoint someone, it's not their job to make you feel better about it. And that's something I do believe. Like, if I cancel a date, that person's going to be disappointed. It's not up to them to say, Keith, it's okay. I know you didn't really want to go to dinner with me anyways. Don't worry about it. I mean, some people do that. But I, I mean, those are very um, <laughs> sympathetic, sympathetic or empathic or overly compassionate people that would uh, turn their pro Like, they don't want it to be your problem, so they'll make it more of a burden on themselves instead. I don't think that's very healthy. So I just told him, like, Wes, don't expect me to make you feel good about canceling. End of story. Like, don't make me, don't expect me to make you feel good about that. What needs to be said here? Like, you're canceling. I read it. The end, you know? Like, it doesn't need to be a thing. But he's making it a thing now because he thinks he does feel bad. So he responds this kind of lengthier paragraph. He says, Keith, the theme of all your interactions with me, Neil, Bryn, David, Scott, and your Berlin friends seems to be, capital D, disappointment. It's oppressive. I spent every evening with you and all day for the most part. Now I'm working to make up for the time I took off. This is part of having a job sometimes. You have to put in extra hours and get things done, period. <laughs> I'm saying the period because like not every, most interactions on text, you know, don't have periods. Okay, so let's break out, break down what he said. First of all, he's completely skirting the issue at hand, him canceling. He's making this really big, right? So like this is something that we've been fighting about this whole week is like, interactions with other people like i don't actually you know <laughs> my response to him real quick is haha again with bringing other friends into this discussion why do you do that laughing emoji i said i didn't want to fight about this i guess you do so <laughs> yeah i did explicitly say i don't want to fight about it um he brings he he often blows up whatever is happening in that moment, like our very interpersonal interaction, like this has happened several times, you know, like if he's trying to pick up food for me, but it goes awry, or if he's like running late and not communicating with me, or if he's like saying he'll be at my house and I'm waiting for him and whatever, like, you know, if I bring it up, he's like, Keith, you're always disappointed in your friends. You know, he's like, he brings in all these other people that we know into this conversation that him and I are having. Now, it is true that disappointment is a theme right now, hence why I'm recording this podcast. But it's just funny that he's making it my problem. Like, he's, it's my fault that I'm disappointed. It's my fault. It's like, well, Keith, you're always disappointed, so I shouldn't feel bad for disappointing you. So, like, that's the first. So, first he says, Keith, the theme of all your interactions with me and all these other people is disappointment. So it's like, he's like saying, that's on you. Then he says, it's oppressive. So then he's like kind of threatening me. Like, this is why we don't hang out. It's like hard to hang out with you when you're always disappointed in me. I mean, that's fair enough. You know, like if 
Wes or anybody feels like it's oppressive, if my disappointment or judgment of someone is oppressive, then you hang out with them less, obviously. But he's making that really clear that he feels oppressed. He feels oppressed by me being disappointed that he flakes. Isn't that funny? Isn't that interesting that he is canceling a plan that I was expecting him to be there for, and now he's calling me oppressive for that. I would put that maybe in the in the vein of gaslighting. I would say that that's like, you know, like he's, it's true that he might feel oppressed or he might feel like this is an oppressive thing from me. But, you know, it's like he's kind of having this tantrum, like, I feel upset now. You're upsetting me. It's your fault that you're disappointed and upsetting me. And then he adds all this like apologia. I spent every evening with you and all day for the most part, comma, as if he's doing me a favor, as if he's just flown here for me and I'm doing him this favor, spending every day with him, like as if I didn't want time off and that it was too much for me. He's like throwing that at me like, hey, man, I've already done so much for you. I spend every day like, how is that a fair <laughs> rhetorical move, right? Now I'm working to make up for the time I took off. So I didn't know he took off work. He did tell me his work schedule. He told me he had to work, you know, Tuesday and Wednesday. Today is Tuesday. He, I knew he had to work today, for instance. I had no problem with it. I was like, great. I can also do my stuff. I have work to do. I need privacy. I need personal time. Um, so, like, he's acting like, now I have to work, man. But, like, the workday ends at 6 or 7, you know, like, before dinner. He has to eat dinner, Right. He could have even said, can we make it later? Because like maybe I have to take this call at 7. He could have said that, right? If this was really the point. And then he adds this like dig, because I don't have a 9 to 5 job or a boss. This is part of having a job sometimes. You have to put in extra hours and get things done. As if I was giving him a hard time. As if I said, he's like anticipating that my argument was, Wes, come on, why are you prioritizing work? I want this dinner. I want, this was going to be special. Come on, make the dinner. I never said that. I never said that. I said, okay, I accept what you're telling me. I'm disappointed. The end. And he's like, come on, man. I have to work extra hours. Don't you understand? You wouldn't understand. So this, you know, this is why I'm recording this. Because, like, I just want you guys to hear how people can sound. And we've all been there, right? It's not like Wes, it's not like I'm virtuous. It's not like I'm beyond what Wes is doing exactly. But I do think it's important to, like, study a bit how we communicate with each other, what our tricks are, what our psychological uh, quips are that lead to certain kind of friction, you know? So he like throws all that at me. It's like, now suddenly we're not talking anymore <laughs> about tonight's dinner. We're talking about all my other friends. We're talking about oppression. We're talking about how he's owed, how he's put in his time or something, which is quite offensive frankly we're talking he's we're talking about work and jobs and like what it means to have responsibilities <laughs> that's what he's made this about dear listeners that's what my friend wes has turned in him flaking on tonight's dinner into right it's interesting to me so then i said haha again with bringing other friends into the discussion i said oh right i read that okay so then his response to my very quick reply is a series of four messages it says and now we're into all uh lowercase without punctuation so he's on his laptop here 
Ignoring a message is just the passive version of this. You know the decorum of social interactions. I bring other people into it because talking about other people, the theme is disappointment. And when I don't do what you want, it's the same. So some of this is fair to say. Like I said, guys, the theme is disappointment. So that's true. So he's disappointing me and he knows that that's a theme for me. And he's like, try, I mean, it's on one hand, it's loving. And I actually appreciate him as a friend, our friendship in the sense that we can talk about that theme. Obviously it's very fraught and tense when it's between him and I specifically, which it very often is, but he is able to like actually have a normal conversation, especially when it's about other people. So I really value that. And I would say while he's been here in Berlin with while I've had my broken foot and while I've been hobbled and not being able to party with him as much, which is unfortunate, I'm sure he's disappointed by that, you know, like, and I'm like very willing and able to recognize that and be sorry for him and for us. But anyways, it's true that the theme is disappointment. But like to say like ignoring a message is just a passive version. Can you imagine texting that to a stranger, to a crush that you have? Why aren't you answering me? I said hi to you. I asked you out for drinks. You're being passive aggressive. You are not responding is like the super passive way of fighting me. I don't like that. You know, like, and it's funny that it's ironic to me that he brings up the decorum of social interactions because like I feel like he's breaking that for sure. I think he's breaking it more than me. Now it is fair to call me out a bit, right? Like the, the decorum is true that like if someone cancels on you you pretend it's fine you let it slide you're like oh that's too bad okay well maybe next time right you say something nice but i will remind you guys i basically did say that right i said i don't know what you want me to say it's too bad you won't meet michael but maybe he'll still be here if and when you can make it like i thought that was totally within the realm of social decorum but it was too late for him, right? Because he was like, he, he, he goaded me with a question mark, but that was less than an hour, like 1139 to 1228. He, his anxiety is so strong of him canceling on me that he has to push this entire fight for it, you know? I just want to highlight how psychology can work like that. So yeah, he's throwing all this at me. He's blaming me for the social decorum because I'm not letting him off the hook, Right? But like I said to him, my kind of thesis, if you disappoint someone, it's not their job to make you feel better about it. But he is saying, Keith, it's your job to make me feel better about it. You're not doing it. That's fucked up, dude. So I just sent one more thing to him. I said, you ignore messages all the time, lol. People take their time when it isn't urgent and they're not sure what to say. It was left on red for like an hour lol so that's all i said and then he said okay and that's it so that's the end of my reading of this interaction or my text uh reading i'm gonna continue quote reading it um yeah it's just funny like wes is not a good communicator with me as an old friend at all like i'll text him and he'll ignore it for weeks you know like i'll call him and he'll not call me back forever um, which is fine. Like most people are kind of like that, especially with old friends. Like it's not your job to just call someone back because they called you. Like it's not, you don't have to, we all know that. And 
But when it, you, when it doesn't happen, obviously you're disappointed. The other person is disappointed, obviously. But like, whatever. I mean, it's just funny because Wes is on his phone all the time. It's just so ironic. He uses an iPhone 6, for Christ's sake. It's always dying. He's like really proud to like not have a good phone. Even though he likes photography, <laughs> he doesn't like phone photography. It's fine. It's fair enough. Um, I, I, I do think, this is a bit of a side note, I think it's pathological to pride yourself on how you handle, how, how you hobble your own communication device as a point of pride for yourself when it specifically affects other people. Communication devices are interpersonal relationships. So to say, oh, I don't have a smartphone. It's like, oh, okay, you don't want to text fluidly with me then. You rely on me for a map then. You want me to look up everything for you. That's what someone is saying when they don't have a smartphone. So it's like, oh, good for you. You're living 30 years ago while I have to do everything for you. I mean, that's how it is with my brother, frankly. He's really proud to not have a smartphone, and he's the most difficult person in my life to communicate with because he refuses to text. As if it's like, you know, as if you can abstain from our reality, society. You know, I mean, you can, obviously. You can do phone calls and emails. It's true. And I know that my dear friend, Cherie, um, if you're listening to this, Cherie, I, I get it to prioritize and prefer phone calls because they are nicer. They're definitely nicer, but they're also scarier and they're not appropriate with every interaction. If I just meet someone new, a phone call? Scary. Slim chance. Plus, a phone call burdens the people that you're with in that moment the way a text doesn't. It's actually easier to look at your phone and think, oh, I got to respond to this text while you're in another interaction. Whereas a phone call absolutely breaks and ruins that other interaction. And if you can't break and ruin that interaction, then you're not even going to take the phone call. Then you have none of the information that you could have had with a text. So, you know, these things are nuanced and there's a place and time for all these kind of communication strategies. Um, so I think that's important for everybody to know and how they affect other people. Yeah, all that said, Wes is on his phone constantly talking to various people in Finland that he's very, very close to. And it's like, you know, it's offensive to me. Cause it's like, wait, you don't feel close to me? You don't want to talk about this with me? Is that so urgent that you have to respond? And now I will just have a little bit of a go at him. You know, he got here and he's like, it's definitely over with this girl. We're not boyfriend-girlfriend. You know, he got to my house. He, like, dropped his stuff. He saw that I was in a bad mood because I have a broken foot and I'm on meds and I'm not in a very happy spirit. And I didn't pretend to be. And he got here and he was, he was disappointed that I was un, I was unhappy. I could tell that he was disappointed. And it's fair enough. Because, like, who wants to walk in on a sick, infirmed friend who can't walk around and have fun with you? It's not fun. But, you know, I was ready to have a beer with him and talk about things and, like, get into all the all the things you know all of the things about why life isn't quite right or what we do like about life still all that stuff and within like 10 minutes he was talking about his girl problems that he always talks about with me and then with within 20 minutes he excused himself mid beer into my courtyard outside to take a 30 minute phone call to make a 30 minute phone call and he came back and he was like yeah i know i just wanted to get that call out of the way because i didn't want 
this issue with that I'm going through with this girl to be hanging over me all weekend that I'm hanging out with you. And yet, dear listener, I can let you guess what happened after that. I made a bet with him that he would actually talk with her every day. And he has. Except for maybe one day. I guess technically he might not have talked to her one day. But I don't even know if I believe that, to be honest. But I'm not sure. It doesn't really matter. But the point is, like, I called him out on his, like, fuzzy thinking. Thinking that this was put to bed and that he would be giving me his undivided attention after that. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. And I'm allowed to tease him for that. And look, we're buddies. We're mates. It's not, like, a big deal. I'm not another girl that needs all of his attention. I'm not offended or jealous that this girl is getting his text backs right away and he doesn't text me back or something. It's just like the irony, the irony of like when you decide to be a good communicator and when you don't and what you expect from others and all this, it's very nuanced and it's interpersonal. It's interpersonal. People say things aren't personal, but they are interpersonal, right? It's me and you. If you're not hiring me for a job, sure, it's not personal. It's not that you hate me, but it is interpersonal. We're not maybe a good match in your mind for this job or for this date or for this social event. It's interpersonal. You don't want to invite me out to a club with these friends because I don't fit the dynamic that you have in your mind. I'm allowed to be disappointed by that. But you know, dear listener, whether or not you should bear that burden of disappointing me or not. And some of you, I think, have a very easy time to let it go and to not bear that burden and to think that's your problem if you feel hurt by that. I'm not going to do anything about it. Now, I could be like Wes and I could be like, let's get into a fight about this. This is really fucked up. This is a theme with you and your friends. You don't have any feelings toward any of them. Everybody is annoyed when you can't or when you make plans without them. You know, like you can always do that. But it's like, is it appropriate? Is it appropriate to do that? And I do wrestle it with it myself. I think the way that I would, I suppose, give myself accolades, I don't mean to brag. This is not going to be a brag, don't worry. But like, I'm just very conscious and conscientious of this sort of thing, of communication strategies and how we think. That's just what I spend my time studying. So I do think that I'm maybe, quote, better at it than some other people. And not all opinions on this are equal. Like for someone that like is very inwardly focused on living their own life and doing whatever the hell they want and not really caring about others, they don't have as expert a viewpoint on communication strategies. They just don't. I mean, maybe to get what they want, they do, but not as like a rule of thumb for society or for people to share. Like if everybody was super selfish and just canceled on each other and did everything, I mean, I guess we are kind of like that. We're kind of like that, but people are going to be disappointed. I mean, it's just a, it's just an inevitability that people are disappointed and I am disappointed a lot. I am disappointed a lot. And I guess we can shift off of Wes and onto me now because it is, let it, let's, let's get into this theme. It is true that I am disappointed a good amount of the time. And I have been throughout my life and I think uh, a chapter title of this is finding my tribe to find one's tribe of people to know where you really belong. You know, like I went to Berkeley and I thought all these people are going to be like 
creative, uh, politically driven intellectuals and it's going to be perfect. And it kind of was like that. And I really felt like I fit in at Berkeley and I had great friends, Wes being one of them, along with that litany of people he listed and threw at me, who he says are all mad at me, which, you know, I have my own relationships with them. I know how mad they all are at me. I interact with all of them individually. He doesn't need to, it's not his job to do that. But anyways, like after that, when I moved to New York, I didn't really feel like I had a tribe that I like really related to. Um, A lot of my college friends, I just felt like we're going in different directions in their life and how they think, you know. And I went back to art school because I thought this is where I'll find my people, people that really prioritize the creative spirit. And I found some good friends there, but not as lifelong friends, not as many for sure, not as strong. And very, very different from me still, because artists are all different. They're creative in different directions, you know, like, (laughs) um, like a very German linear geometric photographer is not going to relate to like, you know, a very insert nation here, messy, um, you know, slabbing paint on everything, bringing in detritus and trash and calling it art. Like those artists are not on the same page at all. You know what I mean? Like they're not just going to like be friends because they're both artists. So people are like very different in that way. And I just never found people that I can like relate to who like think critically of everything, including our relationships, who get into the same politics as me and want to like talk about them the same way, not to, not to agree, but to think about things in a, in the same energy field, let's say, because people can disagree. I mean, I disagree with friends all the time, but it's fine. Like, if you have your viewpoint, if you have a belief, tell me. Tell me why you believe that. And if you really believe it, then you can handle me telling me, telling you why I believe what I believe. What I find out what happens is that when I make my point, people get really mad because they are crumbling. Their own belief system is not strong. That's why people get mad, I think. It's like they're facing sort of like test their like their ideas and their values and their way of thinking is being tested and it's uncomfortable right I mean I understand that but I do push people I do provoke people I am a person that can't help but be provocative in this specific way because I spend a lot of time analyzing how and why we think and if we're interacting especially on a certain topic it's going to come up It's going to expose how and why you think. And hopefully for me too. I'm not above that. Like the thing is like when I disappoint somebody, as I'm sure I've done recently. Oh yeah. So with Wes, like when Wes came to my house, like he was not sure if he was going to make this flight from Helsinki to Berlin. I broke my foot. It kind of derailed our plans, but he thought, you know what? I still want to get out of Helsinki because of this girl situation. I still do want to have fun in Berlin. I know Keith can't really go to clubs with me, but I still want to hang out with him and, you know, have drinks and, you know, still have a good time, which we have done. But, you know, is it going to be as cool? Is it worth a plane ticket, which are more pricey nowadays, which he made sure to tell me, (laughs) you know, like fair enough. Right. So for him to walk in and like, I'm on the couch, like quite sullen looking, quite, quite out of it. Okay. That's not cool to walk into. Right. You'd rather like show up, drop your stuff. And the guy's like, your friend is like waiting with an open beer surprise. Hi. And like, you're super cheerful. Right. I mean, 
obviously we all know what's nice and what's not nice. And it's not nice to walk into somebody feeling in a bad mood, but you know, I felt, and so like, I did feel like entitled to be in a bad mood and quickly get over it. Like, yeah, this is me. I know. Blah. Let's have a beer. Let's talk. But if he said, Keith, you know, it was really disappointing to me to arrive to your house and you were just so pathetic looking. I would say, I'm sorry. <laughs> First, I would say, I'm sorry, man. I know. It sucks. I'm sorry to be a disappointment right now. What exactly disappointed you? Well, you were just sitting there like already... Um, not having fun as if I was intruding on you. Oh, yeah, I know. I, I don't know what I could have done to make you feel more welcome. I guess I could have, like, uh, sat on the couches in a way that you could sit down next to me. Or I could have, uh, I don't know, right? Like I, But, like, I'm on that page with him. I'm thinking it through from his point of view. Like, I can sympathize. I can empathize when asked to. <laughs> it's easy. It's easy to imagine being him in that situation. Um, it's harder to imagine being him today because I don't actually know what his work schedule is. I don't actually know what the details are of his night plans. I have no idea. Um, but I accept, I guess, at face value that he has to work. But I'm, you know, if I had to work, if I cancel on somebody because I had to work, it's okay that they're disappointed. You know, it's allowed. It's a, you're like, the thing is that, again, you're going to hurt people, but it's not your job. <sighs> it's not your job to not hurt people, but it's also not their job to make you feel better about it. Like you're allowed to hurt people. It's not fun or cool. Like we try and do it rarely, right? But when it happens, the person that's hurt, the victim in that case, isn't the one to assuage the guilt of the criminal. It's not how it works. Like if you feel guilty for hurting someone, you have to deal with that. It's on you. Talk to other people or change your, your, uh, your attitude about it, you know? Uh, I'm going to do one more example. Um, maybe I won't. I want to talk about this situation with my dad. Dad, I know you're a, a dear listener of, of this podcast, and I wonder how private you feel about this. Um, so I'm really hesitating whether or not to tell this story. It's a very minor thing. It's very minor. I'll just keep it general. And I don't mean, again, to have a go at my dad. So, you know, I was told a criticism. It is a bad look to complain, to um, bitch and moan through life. No one likes that, right? Is that what it sounds like I'm doing? And if so, I guess you won't want to listen to me. But I think I'm doing more than that. I think I'm really, like, shining light on something that needs to be seen, socially like the way we interact with each other and sometimes um, i'm on i bear the brunt of that and those are the times that i'm sensitive to obviously so i'm that's what i'm using as fodder for this podcast but i suppose i could try and talk about a moment when i hurt somebody right i guess that would be cooler of me to make myself the aggressor the bad guy because i can handle that i can handle you guys seeing me as a bad guy sometimes if i if i mess up um, so I'm wondering when that would have been that I could use as an example without trying to go into this other one about my dad. Oh yeah. Cause like I did get this 
piece of advice about my podcast that like, you know, throwing your parents under the bus is a really bad look, you know, to just like go on and on about how maybe they, <laughs> they fucked up your childhood. And I'm sorry to swear because I know that's a bad look too, but it's like, I don't know. We have different values. Like revering your elders is a value in a lot of societies. It's less of a value in my generation. So I think most of us in my, in my age range uh, accept that we can um, psychoanalyze our adult, uh, our parents, and it's fair game. You know, like it's not that I want to blame everything on them or anybody. It's just that these things do need to be studied. These things need to be studied if we're going to understand the world, if we're going to understand ourselves in this world. It's worth studying. So I'll just keep it short. I won't go into the details with this story of my dad. The point is that, you know, my dad calls me and my mom, like people in my life call me and I choose what to share with them, right? Like it's, it's up to me to choose what to share with people when they say, so how's it going? What's going on? How's the foot? How's the recovery? You know, I'm asked this question all the time, you know, I've been asked this question probably a hundred times now. And I have to, I have to have a stock answer that doesn't get too monotonous and boring for me to say, but it gives enough information and it leaves enough room for an interesting conversation if there is one to be had in that moment, right? So my dad is like calling me pretty often. Either one of my parents will call me almost every day now. And I'm used to talking to them maybe once or twice a month. So it's a lot. And I, you know, I run out of things to say, especially if I'm in a bad mood. Because, like, I'll be honest, like, I'm in a bad mood at some point almost every day. It's not like I'm in a bad mood constantly. I'm not super depressed right now, I don't think. You know, I'm not sure if I've exhibited signs of depression for 14 days in a row. I don't think so. But maybe. You could argue it either way. That'd be the job of a therapist. But I definitely don't always feel like talking. But with my parents, who I'm going to go and live with right now for the next month, you know what I mean? Like, I better be comfortable enough to be myself in front of them. And I think you can appreciate that. I think we are all maybe too comfortable in a way with our parents, our regressive childhood selves. But mom this kind of attitude, which is really a bad look for sure. Like it's really gross and unattractive when you see that exhibited in somebody you're dating or something. So like, I don't want to be like that. I treat my parents like people, you know, I, I think we're all adults and I, I, that's how I treat them. You know, I treat them as adults. Like I don't even mind calling them by their first name in third person. In first person, I, I call them mom and dad. But if I'm talking about them in third person, if it's clearer, I'll use their names because they are people with names and I'm grown up, you know? So this is tricky because like my dad and I, I think you're always sort of evolving in your relationship with your parents. Like obviously when you're growing up, they have a very unique responsibility for you and there are certain boundaries. And then once you're 40, <laughs> there are less boundaries, obviously. So my dad asks me how I am, and I feel like just telling him like what's on my mind in the moment as a friend. But I have to be careful because he's not a friend. He's my dad, and he's related to all of my other family members. And I love my other family members, 
and I engage with all of them interpersonally, just like my friends. But people gossip, people chat, and people like uh, warp how things are meant. People add to stories, people exaggerate and maybe use information for other means, like to get closer to somebody or to maybe create wedges in more dastardly ways sometimes. I mean, this is Shakespearean stuff, right? So, you know, sometimes I tell my dad stuff and he runs with it and gabs about it to anybody and everybody. He might not consider that gossip. He might even be bragging about me. He might be proud of me. My dad is a man. He's an older man. It's not even fair of me to expect him to necessarily have the same sort of scrutiny of language and communication that I have, right? I mean, ultimately, the point is that my dad says things sometimes that I don't appreciate him saying to other people. But is it really on him? Like, now that I think about it, it's probably just my fault for saying it to him. Like, maybe he's not somebody I can just trust as a confidant. Maybe that's not his role, you know? If he wants that to be his role, then he has to earn that role or lose it right? And I think that's where I am with it. It's like, in a way, with a parent especially, I just want them to be proud of me, and I want them to be happy for me. So why would I share them bad news? Why would I share them anything that's like, that makes them responsible again for me? They don't want to feel that way anymore. They've done that already. I should be taking care of them at this point. And yet, that's not the dynamic if I have a broken foot, like I can't make them dinner, you know? So it's just tricky because it's like, basically I had a similar interaction that I had with Wes with my dad where I could analyze the things that he was saying as defense mechanisms, as outbursts, just emotional outbursts, like a tantrum basically. Um, Just throwing in all these other things like ad hominem attacks, just a lot of like logical fallacies basically. I guess that's really a key word I want to under, underline here. The logical fallacies people make in interpersonal communications. It's not relevant to bring up certain things when you're talking about something specific with someone, unless you just want to have this bigger fight that you've always had in your mind. And that is what people do, obviously. That's how fights happen, is something small, because they represent something bigger, generally. So it's fair enough, but I had to call him out on it but I, I do feel bad doing so. It's like with, with a close friend that's my age, it's like we're still like grappling with life basically on the same level. Obviously, we're at very different levels in a lot of ways at this point between people. But in general, millennials are going through the same things and we can teach each other and learn from each other and cooperate and evaluate strategies for how to tackle this world you know, that we're all in. I feel like dealing with an older generation is a bit different because it's like, well, they're kind of done living the bulk of their life and making the bulk of those big decisions. Like, is it really worth, I don't know, teaching a boomer how to use a MacBook or an iPhone? You know, like where, what, what's the threshold there? What's the, what's the limit of knowledge that can be learned? Um, how adept can somebody really be? Can you teach an old dog new tricks kind of thing? And I wonder that. But, you know, when it comes down to communication, I think from years of being in therapy, it is always valuable to me 
to analyze how we communicate. And I guess I don't want to let off the hook old people or my parents specifically. People all have to interact with each other, even as you're old. And it's just the way it is. So it's worth it's I think it's a it's a skill that has to be sharpened until the day you die, basically. You don't ever want to be uncommunicative or poorly communicating, you know, because what if like you're laying in hospital and you're in pain and you don't know how to best get the medication you need, which happens to my grandmother. Like you need to be able to communicate and you need to be able to communicate clearly and effectively. And that generally involves, you know, this balance, this balance of being somewhat aggressive for what you want to advocate for yourself and somewhat flexible and lenient and deferential to what other people want or need. You can't demand things from other people, you can't, but you can ask. And with closer people, maybe you can ask stronger. Maybe you can even expect. And I think that's where I've gotten in trouble, and I'll end on this, on this note. I've come to expect a good amount from a good amount of people because I feel like our history has earned that. And when that shifts, it's weird. I mean, it's like a friend breakup, right? Like a a romantic breakup is very pointed and punctuated by time and change in, in relationship status like stop living together stop having sex whatever stop talking but friend breakups are different they basically just slip away maybe you have a falling out that's when there is one inciting moment that ends it but a lot of time you just drift apart maybe you make other priorities maybe you think you know that friend is not really growing up the way I am I'm gonna kind of not be there as much for them I am that person disappointing some friends by not growing up in the same way, by not having a partner to bring to a dinner party. Maybe I'm a disappointment by being too provocative at a dinner party. Oh, it would be great to have Keith there for that, but you know, he's gonna say something really offensive. It's gonna be really awkward. We can't invite him. I get it. I'm very disappointed. I think it's weak. I think people should just be less sensitive and <laughs> You know, like these are just talk, these are just ideas, but people are really sensitive about this stuff. You don't know what button, buttons you're going to push. And I am not too careful to not push, push people's buttons. So I get it. I'm not going to, it's not my job. It's not their job to make me feel better about that. It's not their job to say, Keith, I feel bad. Wait, uh, Getting, I'm getting lost in my own mind here. When that happens, it's clear cut. I don't start fights with people over it. You know what I mean? I just learn, right, my actions have consequences. If I'm a loud mouth, then they're not going to bring me out with them. End of story. Now, ideally, if it's a close friend, I can say, like, you know, it would have been cool to be at that, at that gathering that you had the other day. Did you not invite me because so-and-so was there and you thought maybe we'd fight? I would like to be able to say that to people. People don't even like that amount of confrontation, you know? People don't even want to face that and be like, oh, yeah, haha, yeah, 
my brother really doesn't get along with you, so we didn't invite you. You know, like, it happens. It happens. And I just have to take the loss on that. And I think that some people just have to do that. Like, if you do something, take the loss. So, yeah, disappointment. I'm not sure if I got to the bottom of my own therapy issues. This has been the length. I try and keep these around an hour because it's kind of like a therapy session in a way. So um, you can't tackle everything in one go in one session. Sometimes you have to wait to until next time to keep going with it. And that's what I'll do here. I will, I will, I guess, resolve leaving this podcast now to be very conscious of my own feeling of disappointment and how much I'm allowed to put that on somebody like Wes how much I'm allowed to say, allowed to even say it. Am I allowed to tell somebody that I'm disappointed? Or do I have to just suck it up and put on a happy face and do as Wes calls the decorum of it and just pretend that I'm not disappointed for their sake? It Maybe that is my job. Maybe I do have to do that. It's not really the, it's not my belief, but um, I can see why people think that. And maybe, dear listener, you have thoughts for me about that. Maybe you can tell me. I need to get this onto YouTube so I can have a comment section. I can have my Patreon link, keythinking, patreon.com slash keythinking. I would love your support. Just a dollar or euro a month would be would mean a lot to me uh, just to, to know that I am supported in my endeavors. Um, and I appreciate your time. As always, and thanks for listening. Until next time, ciao.